This week on Ultra 64, it's good news for all you perfect dorks because we're playing Perfect Dark. Huh, get it? Because it rhymes. Ish. <laughs> Everyone and welcome to Ultra 64. We are the internet's comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. Each and every week we are playing a different randomly selected game from the Nintendo 64 catalog and we are dipping into the shadows to take out the evil alien overlords and looking damn good while we're doing it. Nice. My name is Steve Guntley. Hello, I'm Woody Siskowski. It's good to be here, Steve. It's, oh, been, it's been a while. I think I was here yesterday. I'm, I'm really enjoying the uh, NPR tone to your voice that, you, oh, excellent. that you've adopted yeah. today. I I've think. decided to finally professional up my uh, my persona on the next, the penultimate episode. I, uh, I, I like this idea. I think yeah. we're going to be very calm. We're going to be very professional. We're going to put people to sleep. Yeah. We've talked no, about- we're not! Oh, oh yeah! yeah. Titties and twins! <laughs> <laughs> We've yeah. talked about a lot of pointless garbage on this show, and now <laughs> it's time to discuss the finer things, such as our guests. Our guests this week, we got two, we two. two exciting guests. Worlds, worlds have collided, and we're united together over... N64 first-person shooters. Um, our first guest today originally appeared on the Battle Tanks episode from way back in the past. Uh, welcome, Bennett Williamson. Hi, Bennett. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's good. It's like the first time to say it's good to be back. I'm super jazzed. Yeah. Again. Yeah. You said that. You said that when you were at the Battle Tanks. We were all very confused. We're like, yeah. <laughs> you, you're just hiding out in Steve's house. You're like, oh, you didn't know I was here before. That's you right. might be getting some whip whiplash because you went from playing maybe the most sexist game on the system to uh one with like strong positive female leads so that's right sure. yeah i'm covering both Hopefully ends of the spectrum getting... i'm going from yeah, claiming, those of you who... claiming women as yeah. uh as a currency and uh <laughs> playing a strong badass female lead yeah. autonomous protagonist versus literal object yeah. very <laughs> nice uh, very nice to, to mix that up our other guest dates way back towards the beginning of the podcast i think one of the mortal Kombat episodes was the first one he was on please welcome back scott Berger. hello scott hello scott uh i am protector <laughs> wait, wait, one no. i'm protector one but you can call me elvis <laughs> sure. i understand that reference now uh, a lot of these references <laughs> that like perfect dark is Indisputably, it's one of the big games on the N64, mm -hmm. but I don't really have a whole lot of hands-on experience with it. It's a I blind think, spot. Someone yeah. would sneak up behind in your perfect dark spot. They could. Yes. They could get right up behind me, and they can pistol whip me by going sideways. Steve, sideways, Steve sideways. You're, you're a grandpa, right? I am, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Proud well, grandmother of three. Like, Steve is his own grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say for most of, uh, well, for at least Woody and I, because we're uh, basically the same age, we're also we're, we're lesser grandpas, but... Uh, sure. Whip, that's that's how. Yeah. That's Scott's new unit of age measurement is just people are defined in percentage of grandpa. So once you reach thirty, you reach lesser grandpa. Okay. A baby is 002 percent grandpa. So I'm thirty-seven. <laughs> what percentage grandpa am I? Uh, you're a minor grandpa. I'm a minor grandpa. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's good. And then know. once you become an actual grandpa, you become a hundred percent grandpa. Okay. And then if you once you cross eighty, you become a bonus grandpa. Okay. I and think I need to see a scatter plot with all this but sure. sorry scott what was your point we'll here give you some before N64 our themed uh, suspenders to commemorate it uh that well <gasps> I, yes. I think the idea here was like uh i think there's a huge nostalgia bank for this game maybe 
Oh yeah. And for me, maybe more so than Goldeneye. But the- no, you're you're crazy, my friend. There is not a bigger nostalgia bang for this game than for well, Goldeneye. I, don't know. I actually don't know about that. I feel like you were either kind of a Goldeneye family or you were a perfect dark family. I don't know. I think that's, I we I were, think that's true. We were totally like a perfect dark family. Like loved Goldeneye, thought it was amazing, like totally groundbreaking. But Dude, Perfect Dark came in and they literally took like, okay, here's the amazing framework that Goldeneye put in place. And then we're going to improve literally every part of it for this game. Yeah. But Steve, yeah, that's true. Steve, when uh, I guess like for you, was this a big nostalgia game for you at the time? Or was this just like, eh, it's, you know, it's another Goldeneye? No. And like uh, for I don't really know why, like I never really got on the hype train for this because I would have been kind of at the perfect time for this game. I was 16 when this came out. I was still actively playing my Nintendo 64 quite a bit. I was mm-hmm. still playing Goldeneye quite a bit. Hmm. So I don't know why this one passed me by. I've I've played it a little bit at parties every once in a while. And uh, I, I made an attempt at doing the single player mode. I think I got like two or three missions in before I just got distracted by something else like several years ago. <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I really don't have very much hands-on time with it. I, I mean, so I, it was it was cool to dig into this game. I, I bet, think I what bet this I, game. I bet yeah. I know. Why. Go ahead, Bennett. Sorry. I bet it's because you you couldn't splurge on the eight megabyte expansion pack that was required. <laughs> game. That honestly might have been it. Like, because yeah, I I, uh, I had to be much more judicious with what I was spending my money on back then. And like, yeah, it's it's. Uh, that could very well have been it because we did not have an expansion pack growing up. The expansion up. pack was such a poorly run out, thought of product. Like, yeah. the fact that it was only, it was necessary for Donkey Kong 64, so they included it with that. Yeah. But, like, for this game, it, the fact that it was technically not necessary, but you lost so much content here. Yeah. Like, makes it was such a confusing way to do it. Like, I just remember renting a game and being like, you need the expansion pack to play this mode. And I was just baffled. Literally can't imagine running around in the combat simulator with eight other perfect bots, all throwing remote mines at each other without the expansion pack. Well, I think, I don't even think that's an option. No, it's according to the manual, according to the manual, only 35% of the game is unlocked. If you don't have the expansion pack, which means you don't get to play any of the single player mode. And it's pretty much just straight PVP deathmatch. That's kind of, what you get and with probably the basic a reduced model. number of bots. I would yeah, you get to like dip your imagine. toe in, and that was about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's good. It's if essentially you are... a fifty dollar demo, and then they're like, okay, now you got to buy this thing that unlocks the actual right. game. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. like the demo Without costs the expansion more. Expansion pack. It was just mediocre dark. It wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But I mean, I, I I have to imagine there are some consumers at the time who just wanted to like play the deathmatch of Goldeneye. Like, who, you yeah. know, maybe everybody got real into Goldeneye. They didn't give a shit about the single player game, and they just wanted to have deathmatch with their friends. So I could see that being an appealing product. I yeah, would like to think true. the decent thing Nintendo could do is have a lesser priced model or something like that. that came but bundled like, with with it or yeah, yeah, or something like that. But yeah, that was not the case. They 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 asked full price for the game, full price for the expansion pack, and unlike uh, Donkey Kong, this one did not come bundled with it. I don't believe. Right. Well, that would have also been. Con- I don't think there was a way to buy Donkey Kong 64 without the expansion pack. No. And so then it would have been confusing because you're like, well, now I got two expansion packs. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The yeah, Salvation Army it. was just flooded with expansion packs that year. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Guitar Hero peripherals of then, except yeah. less fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but they take up a little less space. Um, it, well, I wanted to ask the art. Because they had that, oh, like, yeah. you know, cool vented red top 
that like yeah. you know fit Rent in that car. That ex- that's right yeah exactly and it, it always con- speed holes beveled in the top of that expansion pack <laughs> it always confuses me too because like it's the expansion pack is backwards from how it looks like you think the little grid the little red hat is going to fill up the space oh but it's, right. it's you flipping around it's like a kid wearing his hat backwards <laughs> exactly. that's, that's how exactly you know it's cool. cool that's right oh yeah yeah so both of our guests, it sounds like you guys have a, a more of a uh, in-depth uh, experience with Perfect Dark than either of us do. Would that be accurate to say? I mean, I, I will not refute the term Perfect Dork, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It applies so well. I think growing up, uh, when our family got an N64, GoldenEye was my brother's game. And so my brother's mm-hmm. five years older than me, and he like that was the game that he just like pummeled me in. And I, I was just like basically like ragdolled every time that he he played with me and uh, uh anytime that he had his friends over we would play like four player goldeneye i was always mm-hmm. just getting brutalized in the corner and then when this <laughs> one came out i think like for some reason i think maybe he hit his saturation point with goldeneye because he didn't seem super interested in perfect dark and then i i picked it up mm-hmm. like oh you know this is like a sci-fi goldeneye sweet uh picked it up and then i this must have been the first game i put like 200 plus hours into uh, oh wow! Yeah. And I think like it just it just struck all the right chords with me, and it became like my golden eye. And anytime <laughs> uh, that I had friends over, like we would always go to Perfect Dark over Golden Eye. And then anytime it, it felt like it felt like winning the video game Olympics whenever I would play my brother in Perfect Dark, and then just like <laughs> be doing like you know the equivalent of whatever the 360 no scope with uh, you know the uh, the guns were at the time. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and for me, like, uh, yeah, I love hearing that, Scott, because mine was oddly similar. I think for me, it was I didn't get a Nintendo 64 at the same time all my friends did. And so I kind of relied on hanging out with my friends to get my golden knife. That was kind of their thing. But when I got it, I think Perfect Dark was not far behind in Mm. one of the first games that I got for my 64. And I played the crap out of this game. Like I remember I was like, I saw the challenges at like the gun range and like all the, the in-game challenges. And I think I actually had bought the, I don't know, whatever the version of a strategy guide was back then. It was probably a Nintendo yeah. power strategy guide. Nice. Um, had all the multiplayer maps on it. And I remember going on those multiplayer map, like, overviews and cutting out little squares of like post-it notes <laughs> oh, writing wow. numbers on them and sticking them on the map so i would know like this is where you know if the meg oh this is like where is they... like the the gun in slot number three on this guns. <laughs> this is select. where the best gun spawns yeah, this is where exactly <laughs> so... where it's gonna spawn so i was like I, wow like i felt like an olympic athlete just like <laughs> at the maximum level in this game so i was like i'm gonna know where all the best stuff is, and I'm just going to dominate all my friends at this game. Nice, uh, nice. Bennett, did you ever go cheese hunting? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Finding the secret slices Wait, of cheese. Wait, what, what, what is cheese hunting? Oh, we we want to know. So it's like a, it's oh. an Easter egg um, that exists in, I think, just about every every level. Yeah, it's, there's one in every level, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and one of the developers, um, I, I remember hearing the story one of the developers, uh, anytime he would go in and kind of make edits on one of the maps, like before they would send out the final version, his little yeah. like token was these this Easter egg of uh, he was making this initial edit to one of the one of the maps, and one of his coworkers said like, "Hey, that actually looks like 
a, like a chunk of cheese, like a wedge of cheese. <laughs> and he's just yeah, like, like Swiss all right, cheese, well, yeah. now it's going to be a wedge of cheese. And he went and purposefully <laughs> hid like a wedge of cheese in these secret obscure locations. Wow. So do you, un- you unlock anything by finding it or no. just kind of a badge of honor that you <laughs> no, saw yeah. all the cheese? You get absolutely you get- nothing <laughs> from it. You don't get any Michelin stars. You, you for like- finally do get, uh, if you play this on Xbox Live Arcade, you finally do get an accomplishment if you find all the pieces of okay. cheese. So oh, there's right. finally a reason to hunt for all the cheese if uh, if you need to validate that again. Yeah. Well, it's not just to refine your palate, your culinary palate. <laughs> sure, it's to ground I'm more, I'm cheese. I'm more of a, more of a pepper jack man <laughs> myself ground cheese that's been hidden in a wall is always yeah, the, the yeah, most exactly. delicious that's what gives it it's wood flavored aromas <laughs> it does yeah okay. it really kind of bakes it in there all it all it got um, you in the original version was that you know secret knowing nod when you knew you yeah, or one exactly. of your friends both like found all the wedges of cheese <laughs> i just imagine two people wearing perfect dark shirts in a cafeteria like each pull out a swiss cheese slice out of their sandwich and just catch each other's eye no, across that, the cafeteria if you ever go that's just, what football fans in green bay they all have that's how it works. It's it, once you see all the cheese in uh, Perfect Dark, you're allowed to move to Green Bay and become a football fan. <laughs> oh, That's... so I, th- those, I thought that like yeah, I thought that was just a fa- uh, deformity that people had oh. in their heads in that part of the country. Well, no, the it, deformity it is. is the we... Packer fan part. What? <laughs> oh. Wow. I'm right. gonna pretend that's a direct insult. <laughs> sure, because you care so much. I am shocked. Yeah. Um, yeah, so tell, a, tell us about squadron. this game, Steve. What I would love to. Let's yeah. get into a little bit because, uh, yeah, th- this game has a pretty fascinating development. Perfect Dark was released May 22nd, 2000, developed by Rare and published by Nintendo. This was also eventually released on the Xbox Live Arcade and Xbox One. So that would be three years after GoldenEye? Three years point? after GoldenEye. Okay. Yeah, let's actually go back to GoldenEye. 1997, Rare is riding high. This adaptation of a James Bond movie from two years earlier has blown up in a way that no one really expected. Yeah. And they are the talk of the town. Everyone wants to know what their next big project is going to be. The initial plan was for them to continue with Bond. They wanted to go right into Tomorrow Never Dies. Unfortunately, because they've made GoldenEye so successful, Bond was suddenly a really hot property for video games. Oh, interesting. And whenever that happens, EA jumps in and buys (laughs) the rights to things. So that's what happens. EA jumped in and bought the rights to Bond before Rare had a chance to put in a bid But from what I understand, they weren't really pushing very hard for it because they were all kind of burnt out on Bond. They wanted to do their own thing. So when EA came in, it was like, ha, 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 I got your ball. They're like, that's not my ball, whatever. (laughs) Go away. Taking your Bond and going home. Yeah, they wanted to take what they had that really worked, which was that GoldenEye engine, and they wanted to uh, refine it and add to it and just kind of make the perfect version of that game. So GoldenEye director Martin Hollis reprised his role for the first 14 months of the three-year production of this game. Uh, reports still kind of vary on exactly what happened, but Hollis uh, left, and a, a team. Uh, he started clashing with his designers, and he started clashing with the producers at Nintendo. Uh, his contract expired in the middle of the production of this, and he opted not to renew. Huh. So around the same time he left, another five team members also left, including David Doak, who's like the level designer, uh, and they went off to form their own studio, Free Radical Entertainment, uh, the makers of Time Splitters and some other awesome games. Um, but that left the Perfect Dark team almost halved at this point. They had uh, they had to kind of start over from scratch. They promoted uh, one of the programmers, uh, a guy named Mark Edmonds. Uh, he became the new director. And they brought in a whole huge team of new people to kind of replace the missing team. 
And apparently they added so much and they changed so much that it's almost like starting from scratch. It was okay. pretty much turned out to be a different game than what they set out to do. But either way, the the working environment was apparently much more pleasant after Edmonds took over. I don't know if that was him or Hollis or what, but he was encouraging people to just kind of throw ideas at the wall and see what would stick. So everyone was having a much more enjoyable time developing this game. There were a couple other real-world uh, events that had an impact on the development here. So originally, this game was going to allow you to take photos of yourself you were going to be able to plug your Game Boy camera, if you remember this Game Boy <laughs> camera, plugged into the back of your Game Boy, took a really low-res black-and-white photo yeah. that you could print out with your Game Boy printer. It was pretty fun. Uh, it was This was going to let you plug that Game Boy camera into the transfer pack and essentially take a selfie of yourself with your controller, and then you could map your face onto a multiplayer character. And then before before you can get, you guess it, what I, happened? I, I know I know yeah. what happened, but before you get there, <laughs> I just want to point out like this is early. This is, even feels like a very early example of like Nintendo insanity because <laughs> what you're running with here, like I really enjoy the idea of Danny, daisy chaining peripherals. You're like, okay, you have your Game Boy, <laughs> okay, you have a Game Boy camera, you have a transfer pack. And, like, it's just so much rigmarole to get this low-res version of your face. And then, of course, what happened is unfortunate things of... Yes, uh, April 1999, the Columbine shootings happened, and suddenly the idea of enabling players to put whatever faces they wanted onto a uh, body and shoot it to death... Yeah. Seemed a little less fun. Yeah, the running, going around to your classmates being like, hey, let me take your picture with my Game Boy camera loses its sort of yeah. whimsical charms when you're like, what are you going to do with that picture? A little creepy. Yeah, a little creepy. So they made the, they made the I think, prudent choice to scrap that feature at the last minute. They did still include some transfer pack functionality. There's a standalone uh, Game Boy Color game of Perfect Dark. Oh, I forgot to bring that. Oh, Oops. yeah. And plugging it into the transfer pack will just unlock like a couple of exclusive uh, secret cheat codes. Okay. Okay. But it is noteworthy. Last time we're talking about the transfer pack. That's it. It never comes up again in, in whatever the, the mysterious final game we're playing. <laughs> whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to worry about it. We're not covering that. Is it going to come back for the uh, Wii U podcast? Yeah, exactly. They brought <laughs> they back the transfer back. pack on the Wii U. <laughs> let you transfer your saves from uh, Mace the Dark Age into the Wii U version of Hello Kitty Racing. Oh it was God. a very weird link. I would love it to was, do that, actually. Just see how many adapters we can link together at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the, the team, when they were designing this game, they were pretty heavily inspired by movies like Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell. And they wanted to, yeah. they, they set out from the beginning to make a game with a female lead because they identified then uh, that it was something that wasn't really uh, happening in games mm -hmm. at the time, which I will say we've gotten better about. Sure. Um, yeah, but uh, the original game was going to be called Covert Operations. Then Boy, they changed I'm glad it to. They turned, changed that name. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. That's a horrendous name. <laughs> that's a terrible one. And then Alien Ops is like slightly better, slightly. but still pretty generic. Yeah. Uh, they finally settled on Perfect Dark. The name Joanna Dark actually comes from the French pronunciation of Joan of Arc, so Jeanne d'Arc, oh, Joanna Dark. clever. Uh, and her personality and design are kind of a blend of uh, Elektra from the Marvel comics and Agent Scully from X-Files. So the original version of this game, it was going to rely on a very complicated uh, lighting mechanics to help you kind of hide from people and solve puzzles. 
I think they pretty quickly realized that even with all this extra power that they were putting behind this game, the lighting engine just wasn't there. It wasn't there for anybody. Yeah. Lighting uh, lighting and reflection in games is one of those surprising things that just eats up a ton of sort of uh, computational power. And it's like, yeah. well, do we want this game to run at a smooth frame rate or do we want to have a little bit of reflection off the water there? Yeah, it's, it's something that's still kind of a challenge, so I can't even blame them for scrapping that. But that's... That's where you're getting the name Perfect Dark is that the, it wasn't just going to be her name. It was also going to be referring to the mechanics of the game. Okay. And they scrapped that and I'm fine with it uh, because I think it would have worked very poorly if they did. I will say it. that the game, like even without whatever this, you know, extra lighting thing that sure. was in there, I think the game looks amazing. Yeah. No, it holds I, was, well. I was really surprised by that because I, I just kind of remember... Um, I just mentally group this game with Goldeneye and think it basically looks the same as Goldeneye, but we just finished playing it and it does not look at all. It's so much brighter than Goldeneye. Like Goldeneye is like those caverns in Goldeneye are just like brown mud over your brown arms and brown AK. You just can't see anything. It's like my second favorite Bob Dylan album, Brown on Brown. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's just Um, like, there's so much more texture to like the surroundings that they created and like even the lighting effects that they had. You know, I think like I actually remember, you know, you would get like, not I guess, lens flare in a way, but like glare yeah. from lighting. And it was like, yeah, it was a totally new thing. And it's funny that you mentioned that, that they like originally planned there to be a lot more stealth elements because there still was. And like, there was the type yeah. of like free form, nonlinear gameplay that I felt like I hadn't really experienced in a first person shooter up until this it, it because you could you could like shoot out lights in some spots and like sneak around wow. guards without actually making them aware or if you were like using oh, a wow. silenced weapon you could do that See, i feel that's like that's know. like a next level gameplay here because i do i feel like that's something that you wouldn't explore unless you played this game a ton mm-hmm. because like the stealth mechanic to me feels sort of it's cool that it's there, but it felt pretty undercooked. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, especially because you can just mow down enemies so quickly. It oh, was yeah. hard to be like, all right, I'm going to try and quietly sneak around when I could just like unload this clip into this ar- barrage of guys. I think Joanna's a spy kind of in the sense of like Henry Cavill in Fallout as a spy. Like <laughs> he's just this big blunt instrument. That yeah. There's not really like much room for, for you know, being uh, decorous or anything. It's just charging in with a gun. Or yeah, exactly. The there's, there's one mission where you're infiltrating Area 50 51 and you can you can definitely go like the super press a to naruto run <laughs> sorry <laughs> you can go this the super speed runner route and just like mow everyone down and like blow everything up and just be like full like strafe sprinting down the hall for everything uh but like on higher difficulties it does kind of force you into those more sort of strategic stealth choices of like okay i gotta go get the disguise i have to like Make sure not to accidentally pull my weapon out in front of a guard while I'm trying to figure out where yeah. this, you know, this uh, dossier I need to go and grab is in order to get into the laboratory and like and and gadgets too. I want to say that like gadgets in this is mm-hmm. one of the amazing kind of things that helps separate it from uh, Goldeneye, where you have and I think right. like Goldeneye had some gadgets in it, but not right. quite. Well, yeah. Goldeneye, yeah. like I always felt like that was kind of an afterthought in its design. Like you would have this watch laser that was very hard to select, and then they'd he'd be like, "Okay, you need to use your watch laser to dig out of the train," mm-hmm. and you just kind of got baffled by it because it sort of felt like such out of left field. But here, they very much like make 
the different missions and the gadgets a focal point of the game. So like, what are some of the gadgets you get here, Scott? Um, one of the gadgets that I definitely remember is the x-ray vision or like, the, well, the short, you know, the short field x-ray that allows you to uh, go around and kind of like see through walls, be like, okay, that's, that's where the dude is that I have to blow up to steal his disguise. Mm, that's um, cool. There are, it, there are other like in, uh, environmental gadgets, which is, which is, a fun one to think about where there's hover bikes in this game. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Who yeah. do you love now? Hover bikes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And there's a, uh, yeah, I know there's the, the uplink, the data uplink that you need to use to hack through certain doors and like hack different things. What, there's flying like, robots. Think... There, there are flying, flying robots. robot cameras that you can fly around and like stun gun people with. Oh, yeah, yeah, we use that one. We use the yeah. kid, the, the cam spy. I uh, think that that stuff is really cool, but I also feel like it's part of the game that I think is the least fun, at least to me, because so many of the mission objectives, and I think Goldeneye kind of set this precedent and other games kind of ran with it. We played Mission Impossible recently, and that is a very bad version of a similar thing yeah. where it gives you very vague mission objectives. Like disrupt calm uplink yeah and you're mm -hmm. like okay and you there's so many just random computer terminals kind of around the level and and one of like another one of the um goals is like stop experiments yeah and you're like okay do i need to do this by activating something on a computer or in this case you just go to a lab and she'll just eventually tell the guy to stop the experiment and say okay i'll stop it but like the game just doesn't do a great job of sort of making it clear how you complete these different objectives. And yeah. at the same time, um, I think there's part of that that's kind of endearing at the same time because yeah. it may, like it essentially presented you with like, here's a Swiss army knife of potential things you could use and ways you could go that's and true. just go figure it out. And it made those times where you like use the gadgets or you were stealthy and like, you know, really conservative and snuck past all the guards, you know, without alerting them that like made made it feel like so much more of an accomplishment when you got to the end of the level that way. Yeah, yeah. The, the tagline of the game was fuck around and find out. You know, it's, kind of <laughs> sure. just, it's letting you know. It's letting you know this is what you need to do. Fuck around for a while. Yeah, figure right. out what to do. Yeah. And, and another another precedent that Goldeneye set that I think this game does a good job with is um, really differentiating between the difficulties. Like mm -hmm. Goldeneye was like, okay, you have your agent mode where it's basically just get to the end of the level. And um, then your secret agent where get to the end of the level and do these other three things. Right. And this really expands on that. Like um, the amount of missions and expansion um, that you do, depending on the difficulty level, really gives this a lot of replay value. Oh, yeah. I mean, for all the different modes in this game, the fact that you're really justified to play through each level like three times, uh, this game has like an outrageous amount of replay value. Like, oh, I, yeah. If oh, you yeah. were going to sink 200 hours into an N64 game, this one's about as good as any of them, except for like Jet Force and I. Yeah, need Star to find yeah. all of the Wookies or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the really cool that thing one about this. Forces you to sink two hundred hours in it. It's not a, it's not a choice. <laughs> that would enslaves yeah. you until you beat two hundred hours of gameplay. Yeah. So so uh, yeah, let's go. Let's talk about some of the modes here a little bit, just because there are so many of them. Like there's that beefy single player mode that we've talked about. 
Um, what, what, where like Joanna has to stop covert alien invasion or yeah, something it, like that. Yeah, the plot's kind of complicated. I'm not sure if I fully followed it, but like the the basic idea is that this game takes place in the far distant future year of 2023. <laughs> sure. uh, so I think they were a little optimistic about where our technological advances are going to be. Then I say, as I look on my supercomputer that fits in my hand. Yeah. Uh, so the crux of this game is basically it's about. Uh, uh, a, a battle between these two institutions. There's the Data Dying Corporation and then there's the Carrington Institution. Carrington is who uh, Joanna works for. She's a special agent uh, and kind of, she's called Perfect Dark as a code name because of her track record of being a really perfect shooty, shooty person. <laughs> um, That's what so they're known as. Basically, uh, you're being tasked, like, these two corporations are fighting to gain control of these alien artifacts that fell to Earth a long time ago. But there are also some alien warriors from two different factions that are embedded in our culture. And like there's this kind of underground war going on. So it's like the Skidar and the Mayans. Is that, is that, is that how it's pronounced? Mayans, M-A-I-A-N-S. I don't know if it's supposed to be a play on Mayans, but yeah. <laughs> yep, my, uh, but my yeah, authoritative so. answer says yes, that's how it's. <laughs> okay. That, that's that how works. It's that sad. was very authoritative. <laughs> Uh, so aside from Joanna, a couple noteworthy characters, there's Jonathan, who's a veteran Carrington agent who pops up sometimes. Cassandra DeVries is kind of your main bad guy. She's the head of the uh, Datadyne Corporation. And then after, I think, the fourth or fifth mission, you meet Elvis, who is a little Mayan protector. Uh, looks like pretty much your standard stereotypical gray-headed alien. Uh, but he comes along with you as an ally, and he helps you shoot stuff. Ooh, you're you forgetting around Mr. Little alien friend. No, yeah. Oh, Mr. Blonde. Yes, yes. Uh, and what does Mr. Blonde do? I don't think I got to him. He's big and he, he's and, one of the Resvar dogs. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> he's a big Swedish man. Yeah, <laughs> just a big Swedish man. Okay. Yeah. So I, I will. I really appreciate how much effort the this game puts into storytelling, and there's a good 45 minutes of fully voiced acting in this game, which is pretty remarkable considering everything else that they crammed onto this cartridge. Yeah. Uh, so Joanna is voiced by Evelyn Fisher, who is a member of Rare's music team. She actually helped compose the music for the Donkey Kong Country series, uh, yeah. which is some of the best video game music of all yeah. time. She even worked on this game that we're talking about today. Well, let's, let's take a very brief sidebar into the music here. I was thinking yeah. like one of the major, they like, I feel like part of the reason that I look back on Goldeneye so fondly um, is because of that music. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Perfect Dark is losing a lot by not having that sort of Bond-flavored uh, music because that's just what I, I... I so associate Goldeneye with Bond that I just assume that was like officially licensed Bond music. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not really. And it basically, this just, game has a very similar vibe. So oh, yeah. you're really not yeah. missing that at all. And the soundtrack no, is another like incredible thing that's still... like Even just on its own, if you have no desire to ever play a Nintendo 64 game, like... I, f I feel like listening to the non-action uh, music from the game is like a really nice kind of like good background productivity music to listen to. Like I'll just be yeah. sitting on my computer like working from home and just have the Perfect Dark soundtrack on repeat while working all day. Sure. See, and I could be into that. Like this is a Grant Kirkhope score and he did GoldenEye as well and he did some of the banjo games and everything. He's a, he's a legend over at Rare. He's done some of the best musical scores ever. And I think this is some of his best work, absolutely. I think it's really detailed and layered, and it plays throughout, even if you're playing multiplayer, yeah. uh, which we found, like, I don't think this is something we were even aware of before starting this show, because all the multiplayer games you grow up with, like your GoldenEye, your Mario Kart, they have full music yeah. for every mode. And then as you start to dig into the category, it's like most most multiplayer Nintendo 64 games drop music completely if you have more than one player. Yep. 
So it's kind of nice that they still keep that in and find a way to make that work. Plus, yeah, let's so be honest, both, when, we, yeah, the, when we were the age we were when we were playing these games, the it's music true. was the last thing that we cared about. <laughs> it's it, true. It was all drowned out by your general shouting yeah. and swearing at each other. The, the cracking sounds, of Mountain Dew. Yeah, that's right. The you know. sounds of loud pizza being chewed. <laughs> I, I have cashews on my pizza. And it's looking at cashews my screen. He's looking at my screen, everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, we are all looking at the same screen, everybody. Yeah. Calm down. Uh, wait, here's a quick question. Is screen screen watching is allowed, right? Like, oh yeah. Is, I, I mean, can okay. It, I, that's like part of the game. Can now, you do anything? Granted, all prevented? That I, I say that it's okay, but only because all my friends always accused me of, and I used it to my, my <laughs> full and absolute uh, unabashed advantage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about some of the multiplayer modes here. Um, yeah. We were a little confused. Maybe you guys know the answer to this. Um, when we played, the only multiplayer modes that were unlocked was a combat free for all and a king of the hill. Are there other modes here that you have to unlock, or is that all you get? So I think you unlock them with the gameplay. I could be wrong about that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I believe that's so, because like from what I looked up, there are other modes. Yeah, it's there's like, like, there's like a mode where you are like, you. Tr it's essentially like you're the, um, you know, the flag carrier, but I think it was a briefcase, like, and you try yeah, and be the one okay. to survive holding the briefcase like for the longest amount of time. And it's like a hacker mode yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I want to say oh, that like, there were yeah. there were a couple other modes that were adjacent to the single player that I don't know if they were unlocked by default, where one is kind of like a your traditional sort of uh, co-op with uh, oh, like yeah. a, a blonde yes. Joanna who kind of like hung out with you. Uh, that the second player would control, but then there was like a counter operative mode yes. where you know the second yes. player was yeah. working we, against the, the Joanna at, in the single. Yeah, player we missions. definitely want to. I definitely want to talk about that yeah. mode because that's a really interesting kind of way to mix things up. So, so that's essentially game, different than you have like your array. Let's just real yeah, quick get this yeah, one yeah, out yeah. of the way. But you have like your array of deathmatch four player modes. Uh -huh. um, team yeah, or solo. Team or solo. What, what is really cool about this is you can set. Uh, I was going to call them stimulants, but that's stimulants. <laughs> yeah, stimulants. Stimulants. Uh, yeah, you can inject Vengeance yourself with stimulant. a bunch of stimulants yeah. and really get going for perfect dark. <laughs> sounds like something from St Storm or uh, uh, Snow Crash or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so you can set these bots, which always felt like something that was very welcome um, if you were like me and generally didn't have a lot of people to play with. Um, yeah, you talk can about set, like I think the, up to just the endless amount of like... Uh, customization and yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, custom game modes that you can make. Like I remember my favorite mode for whatever reason, because it was kind of dumb in retrospect, but I freaking <laughs> loved it was like making a mode of um, it was like all slow motion. And the only weapons oh. you had were the like the combat knife that you could throw. Nice. <laughs> nice. And yeah. so you just Everyone like, has their own terrible mode exactly. that they preferred. Just, I was always a big fan of like license to kill throwing knives on golden high where you just can't yeah. hit anyone. I exactly. want to say that there was there was a an unofficial mode that uh that I think worked in this where uh basically like two people were on, on like other ends of of a multiplayer map. You would have like a whole bunch of bots and you would attach remote mines to the to the bots. And oh, then, cool. like, that would be the only way that you could kill each other legally in the game. <laughs> That's pretty fun. That's yeah, pretty fun. so what, what's also cool about these bots is you can assign them um, just different difficulties. There's like easy, medium, hard, or meat bot, which I'm assuming is the easiest. But different mm. tactics um, you, as well. Yeah, How they cool get different that? personalities. That is really cool. There's And they have funny names. There's like the Venge bot, which yeah. I'm assuming like if you kill the Venge bot, it will just chase after yeah. you yeah. and like focus on getting a kill on you. There's the peace bot, there's the a slow coward bot, the bot. fast yeah. bot. The yeah. one who like 
it's just good. goes after the objectives and like doesn't worry about killing people. It's like just goes after the, the hill. Yeah. Maybe yeah. is that the judge bot? I didn't know what the judge bot was. I think That's it. Like, I think it like tries to keep the game balanced, so it will go after like whoever the leader is. Oh, oh that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's that's the that's the 2023 daytime television show. Welcome to JudgeBot. <laughs> <laughs> he is totally objective in his in his decisions and has a license to kill. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the how uh, you could customize your avatars as much as possible. Like you could take any body and yeah. swap it out with any. You can face. take like the cute secretary body and just put the de- this like chubby developer's face on her, <laughs> which is very odd and off-putting. The the most two thousands thing I can think of is that I remember reading an article about this in uh, Electronic Gaming Magazine in two thousand. Where they were trying to Electronic uh, Gaming Monthly. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Electronic Gaming Monthly. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we get a bunch yeah, of letters. Close. Don't write it. That was close. Uh, yeah, they were trying to recreate uh, Mission Impossible Two using the bots in the game because that was a new movie at the time, and so they're like they couldn't find one to match Tom Cruise, so they just used Shigeru Miyamoto's face. But then everyone else they tried to match. Like they have a Ving Rhames and they have a a bunch of different characters in there. So very two thousands. It's dating me immensely by <laughs> saying I remember it. Plus, it gave you all the um, options once you you know played through and and beat missions of like unlocking more cheat codes and things that you could incorporate in. Or, right. You know, make everybody's head super sized or. Oh man, the like big that. head mode needs to come back. Yeah. I swear to God, every game for like ten years had a big. Yeah, head where, mode. where's the Last of Us Two big head mode? Right? <laughs> like, yeah, come on. I mean, you shoot so many heads in that yeah. too; it'd be extra gross. Um, so I just yeah, I want to say like this is a great. It's a great multiplayer mode. Like it, it's right up there with Turok Rage Wars is the best uh, multiplayer shooter on the system. I will it's, say the UI is a little clunky. Right. When you that was it to that Goldeneye. was the big issue. Like. It, it the interface is just very odd in terms of like you're just sort of jumping between menus. There's not a good visual representation of what's going on to get set up. Like once you get a hang of it, it's fine. Yeah. But um, I wish that was a little better. But it runs especially when you compare it to going when you go back and play GoldenEye four player. It it really chugs. Oh yeah. And the two the two player mode here with full bots uh ran, runs totally smooth. Yeah. And yeah. and you get um exciting music the whole time. So that was really impressive. You don't really run into severe frame rate issues until you try playing co-op, right. which is uh, uh yeah, we tried playing single player co-op. Well, no, which, not single player co-op. Well, yeah, I'm that, sorry, that's a very player. strange. Yeah, but you mode. know what I mean, like the, the single player <laughs> like, mode. It's just you and I, imaginary Steve. <laughs> like, How can you see imaginary Steve? <gasps> He's my friend. Oh my god. Um, yeah, no, I mean the single, like the single player mode, the campaign. but with two people. Yeah, the campaign. Uh, you can play that with uh, your your Joanna and her sister Velvet Dark, which is a great name, and I've got more about her in a minute. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was where we ran into some issues. It was still kind of fun, just because. We're charging around like mowing everybody down. And the further we got into the missions, like as we got away from some of the higher rise building, you know, yeah, you open in that first right building. in the first mission. It was really frame rate chuggy. Um, but the second mission, it ran pretty smooth. Yeah, and it got better. These levels are just generally huge. This was like this is something I'm actually not crazy about in the campaign. Yeah, it's really easy to get lost in these levels. This is a big um, problem for me, too. Yeah, yeah, especially like the first level is just like a office building and pretty much all the doors look exactly the same your second level is this huge underground sort of laboratory and there's just long hallways that go out in multiple directions and i just get lost in first person games so easy that this game really exacerbates that problem see and i i generally don't but i was getting turned around in this a lot because there's a lot of identical hallways a lot of unmarked doors 
And uh, it, it's just generally kind of frustrating. But I to do find a way feel around. like that is very conducive to a co-op play because you can like split up and you can help each other actually navigate the environment and not get as confused. Did either of you guys ever make co-op sort of a go-to option? No, I think like um, I think I may have done the co-op mode like once or twice. I always found the counter-op mode a lot more interesting because it was like like once you played through the campaign so many times, you kind of like get a muscle memory for where the objectives are. And you're like, okay, like I kind of know what to do. But like once you have that aspect of like, okay, I need I need to be like stealthy and not like accidentally shooting any you know scientists during this. Uh, during this chunk and then you have some dude who's just like running around trying to like blast you the whole time i feel like that yeah let let me twist to it yeah let's really quickly touch on that too because that is a really neat thing um so it you you play through the campaign again but one play your first player's plan is joanna dark just sort of trying to complete the mission as normal yeah and the second player um is constantly respawning as just your meat thugs like yeah yeah. you're you're your standard uh, henchman yeah, no, yeah. but it is really cool because it is literally the standard henchman, meaning you die in about two shots. So you just run up, try to get in whatever shots you can on Joanna as the first player is trying to complete the mission, and she's going to kill you really fast, but then you will just come back. And yeah, it, this I is a good, was, like, little brother mode. Like, yeah, yeah if you want to have, if you have an annoying little brother I mean, who wants I to play. I thought it was yeah. really cool because, like Scott said, if you get to the point where you've really mastered the game, mm-hmm. um, that throws in this wild card. And since the person essentially gets infinite response, you really need to know where you're going yeah. <laughs> as Joanna Dark, because if you just start running around, you're going to get worn down. Not, oh, to yeah. mention, um, not to mention that old favorite of uh, screen watching. Can we talk about yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. the crazy weapons? Oh, my God. Oh, yes. yeah, of course. Yeah, they, there's a great suite of weapons here. About more than 40 of them from what I can tell if yeah. we're mixing it all up. And the cool thing about the weapons in this is that everyone has a primary and secondary function, uh, which you can access in this, I think, by pressing and holding B on the standard. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's so creative. Controller. Some of those were just, like, amazing secondary functions. It blew my mind. Oh, my God. There's, the, like, a crazy far sight gun that's essentially a sniper rifle, but you can uh, shoot through walls with it. Oh, yeah, yeah, your it secondary mode. from competitive play in multiplayer <laughs> yes, forever. Oh, I... Yeah. I can understand that. It's, <laughs> it's incredibly the gun, it's the powerful. It ruins friendships. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's a very powerful bullet. Yeah. Yes, but it, yeah, it, it's like uh, uh, you have a laptop gun, which you can turn into a sentry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have um, there's something called a psychosis gun. I didn't find anything about yeah, that like except on the wiki. Gun. Is okay. that what it does? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't like, make them like run around going crazy. That was always or... fun in multiplayer too, because you'd just be running around like shooting each other with tranquilizers and then your your screen and your oh, vision just gets so blurry. And that must, so that must be warped. what was happening. Oh my God. It was hilarious. That kept happening to us and I didn't understand why our vision was going all blurry. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. did, did, did I get poisoned with something? But yeah, okay. It's a tranquilizer. But yeah. Like one of the machine guns like has a cloaking feature. Yeah. Which was awesome. I mean, it. Oh, man. Even the basic pistol lets you switch over to, like, from a gun to a pistol whip mode. So you can just kind of slap the other person around if you want to go a little oh, more. Oh, another stealthy. thing I really like in this game is rather than just running around with the slappers like it was in Goldeneye, uh, one of your, your alternate fire to your punch is the disarm ability. Yeah. So you can actually run up to someone. And if you get them with the disarm, you'll take their gun, which really is a lot of fun in multiplayer. So many times you in Goldeneye, you just spawn and have nothing and yeah. just get mowed down. Here, you're like, if you can actually sneak up behind someone, you can take their gun, they're left unarmed and caught totally by surprise. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it, great. Which is really fun. It's very fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that part of it. I mean, 
the whole game is just very it's a very slick very well thought out well i just like package i just love all the combinations that they like got you know creative and expansive with with the weapons like you know being able to dual wield a lot of those weapons you know the pistols and um you know the cyclone was one of my favorites where it kind of like scans the the ammo cartridge through it and the secondary function is like just a meg release i can't remember what it was called but it's just like one Mm. button press and it fires the entire magazine all at once oh Oh, wow that's fun oh that's super cool i like the shot of those guys like oh my gosh it just pukes bullets out i enjoyed the double blast feature of the shotgun that i found in one of the single player missions like yeah it was a lot of fun and and they got creative with the reload like the reload animations too because like Scott, you probably remember like the the alien weapons. Like they wouldn't mm-hmm. they wouldn't insert a clip, you know, neatly oh, into yeah. where it's supposed to go. They would like meld yeah. this orb and it would just absorb it. <laughs> yeah, you like, like you have and the alien weapons, like the number one, there's alien weapons in this game. Uh oh. kind of a step away from Goldeneye. Uh but <laughs> sure. like even even like I'm so glad that they didn't do a Bond game because there's so much creativity in like every corner of the game that like if this was I don't know if like if this was themed as a Bond game you would lose so much of that personality and, and creativeness where so like you have all these human human guns that like yeah you can you know have a rocket launcher you have your new version of the RCP90 and and all that good stuff and proxy mines and all that but the alien guns where you have yeah, like when it was saying, you know, you, you, instead of putting a magazine in it, you hold like this thing to it, and then it like like absorbs <laughs> absorbs this rock and, that allows you to shoot explosions out of a pistol, which is pretty sweet. There's one, there's a uh, another, and the alien. So the like the two alien factions are are pretty different, and you have one alien factions that have like these really sleek, like cool looking green guns, and then the other alien faction that has like these really brutal angular uh guns where one of them has a secondary fire is a meat grinder yeah the reaper yeah <laughs> i freaking love that you just like run around I mean, and like i'm just gonna run this into somebody and chew them up and oh my god i think similar to the way that like fighting games kind of live or die by on the strength of their characters i think mm-hmm. first person shooters live or die by the the strength of their weird weapons <laughs> and like how much fun and how wacky are you getting this is this just gonna be like nothing but like pistols and real world weapons are going to have some like armed and dangerous where you're shooting sharks at people. Yeah. It's like, like, we're going to take Goldeneye and we're going to take inspiration from doom and like combine those two together. Yeah, absolutely. And it it works well. I think there's a, there's a very memorable suite of weapons to play around with here. Yeah. So I know I have, I've never played perfect dark on, uh, is it, is it the Xbox? arcade classics or, or no it's rare replay right? it's it's rare replay it was also on xbox live arcade it's kind of a remastered version that they did in 2010 i want to say yeah well let's move into that a little bit because this game did have a sequel like well first i want to talk about the yeah. the failed attempted sequel okay. that they tried to put on the n64 so like i said uh, uh the the co-op character here is velvet dark joanna's sister and rare for a time was going to develop a game called velvet dark which was going to be a direct sequel to this 
And it was going to be a third-person action game similar to Metal Gear Solid, okay. but using that kind of character and that and that sort of world. I don't think it ever got beyond a concept art stage. Uh, you see some images of Joanna and kind of or uh, Velvet, and then a few, like I think, a very very loose outline of what the plot would be. But it never really got beyond that. I mean, it would have been, it would have at that point come out so late in the N64's life. It would have been like, too late to make yeah. it worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, the N64 was dead by 2002, which was the same year that Microsoft swooped in and bought Rare. Mm. So Rare is no longer making Nintendo games. However, they are still interested in making Perfect Dark. So they made uh, Perfect Dark Zero. It came out uh, as a launch title for the Xbox 360 in 2005. And at the time, like, critical response was okay. Like, uh, I think everyone pretty much agrees the multiplayer on that game is great. The Mm. single player uh, suffers pretty badly. I haven't actually played this. I hear it's kind of a mess in single player. They got a different voice actor. They got well. They got all different voice actors, and they're all just kind of like subpar. Sure. The story isn't as interesting. And she somehow uh, lost and, her British accent, I believe. <laughs> right, she lost her British accent, and like there, it was just a very glitchy game, and it had kind of the problem that this game does of sort of opaque uh, level designs and sort of difficult to dis- determine what your missions are. Mm. So you know, it, it it had some issues. I, I'm still curious to go back and give it a try. I remember it not being not being fun at all. Like I remember watching my really? play when he got his 360, and then I played it, and I was like, "What is this?" It was just. <laughs> I think they they went such a far cry from, uh, I don't know, any solid idea, or maybe it was a symptom of having like too many new ideas that they didn't make a very coherent game. In my experience, is that it? Yeah, and and just like. It was almost like the the first game, you know, they made use of voice talent like you referenced from just people in the office that they had around. Yeah. Which had a real novelty to it. And for some reason, I feel like then once that game was successful and they went to make the other one, they must have thought like, okay, we'll get some real voice talent in here. And then they were like almost trying to like exaggerate or parody this this otherwise like spontaneous and yet perfect recording of the voices that happened in the original game, which just made it terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what I've heard about this one. And it's kind of an interesting case of a game being like a critical and commercial success for the most part. I think it's still got a pretty decent score on like Metacritic and everything like that, but it also still kind of killed the franchise for a very long time until just last month. When at the Game Awards, uh, they unveiled a new trailer for a Perfect Dark reboot. Oh, uh, this is uh, a, we we don't know a lot about this yet, but it, it is going to be a first person shooter again. Uh, we're told it is going to have a, a strong like eco- ecological message to it. Uh, she's kind of trying to stop some eco terrorists or something like that. <laughs> and uh, the game is not being developed by Rare. Microsoft uh, just built a new team of developers called The Initiative. They just formed them in 2018. And this is kind of their heavy hitter squadron for internal Xbox development. Okay. They, they call this the studio for their quadruple A projects. So like the biggest budget, most high impact projects are going to be handled by The Initiative. And that's who's doing, they're doing Perfect Dark as their very first game. Nice. So we're going to be hearing a lot more about Perfect Dark, I think, in the next year or so. Uh, I think it's going to be – Microsoft's going to put their full muscle behind it. And so I think we've got a chance at like a full-on Perfect Dark 
revival like coming up in the next year or two i think that would be really cool i think that um this game does exhibit a lot of personality for being on the n64 but if it's done well i feel like you could really emphasize that i think there's definitely room for joanna dark as like sort of a major gaming character absolutely oh absolutely honestly it still like blows my mind every time i think about how you like physically played a first person shooter on an Nintendo 64 controller, you know, with only a single stick and (laughs) you look around with the feed buttons. And then if you wanted to get into like the fine aim, you'd hold down like the right bumper and then move with the analog stick. And I was just like, how did we get by without dual analog sticks? (laughs) Right. I know. I mean, even here, like you have a limited amount of strafing with your C buttons, but I barely even used it just because whatever part of my brain that still sure. remembers Goldeneye very well doesn't have a problem with these controls for whatever well, reason. Well, and the auto-aim is very generous. It is, yeah, which I, sure. I love me a good auto-aim, yep. absolutely. What would you, like, what would be the thing that you want to see most in a new Perfect Dark? I hope they keep going with the weird and wacky weapons. Yeah. And again, I don't have a lot of, I don't really have any nostalgia for this series, so, like, I'm not super precious with it, but... I really like the uh, the multifunctional weapons, yep. and uh, I think they can keep pushing the narrative forward a little bit. Uh, I, I like the core story that they have here. Yeah, yeah I think I, I think if they I focused think... on a strong story again, because I think that's what also made the original made you know the original Perfect Dark so good is because it was although completely outlandish, <laughs> oh yeah, like a well constructed like good narrative of a story, which actually was really cool. Yeah, you could tell it was being made by people who really love this like sci-fi shit and were really like getting excited by the idea of making their own version of this. Yeah. As, long as, we're de- as long as we're detaching UFOs from Air Force One again, then we'll <laughs> be in, the, in the, a good spot. That's right. As long as they go to Area 51 again and have, you know, a black president again or... That'd be great. That used to be that used to be shorthand for thing takes place in the future was yep. have a black president and then Barack Obama ruin that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, yeah, Obama. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. We now how do we signify trope. the future? They were just ahead of their time. By general goodwill towards man. Ugh, and, bullshit. Yeah, yeah that's we know not that's bad. not the way it's going. No way. No way. Um, I think that is about all we have on Perfect Dark. Did anybody else have any final thoughts? Well, Scott, what, what do you want? Scott, you didn't get it. What, what would you oh, want to see uh, carry over into uh, New Perfect Dark? Oh man. Um. You only get one thing. Only so. one thing. Uh, <laughs> I think the the creative gadgetry is something yeah. that I want to see because, like, you can have you can have like impressive level design, good art, good story, and all that. All that is 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 good. But I think one of the things that really kind of cements this as perfect dark is that kind of um, like slightly near future. Um, technological espionage so maybe yeah. maybe a, a little more high-tech mission impossible ishness to it uh but done better yeah i think that's i think that's right because i don't think you want to lean too much into the sci-fi aspects as much because halo has that so covered um but i think that having sort of those spy gadgets is um r- r- real alley this game can fit in absolutely and, and if i may wedges yeah. of cheese Yes. Oh, yeah, well, you gotta exactly. pick the cheese. Like, yeah, in, in the new Perfect Dark, you play as a wedge. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the tofu mode from Resident Evil. Yeah, sure. yeah, do that. Oh, All right, well, let's move on to our rankings. We are on. This is the second to last game, the penultimate, if you yeah, will. I will. Uh, in the Nintendo 64 catalog, we've got one game left after this. That means we are at number 296. 
Uh, what do you want to start us off? Where are you putting sure. this? Sure. Um, so I think that this is an example of a game. The, the the question of like objective versus subjective or whatever. Like, I think that if I was to rate this game where I think it belongs in the N sixty four catalog, it would definitely be in the top ten. Yeah. Um, I think this is the best, like most fully featured, um, most polished first person shooter on the system. Um, and I do think that it is a better game than Goldeneye. But with all that said. It doesn't have the nostalgic pull that GoldenEye does for me. And I do think the level design in the campaign is frustrating to yeah. me because they all levels are so big and I get frustrated by those missions. Um, so as such, I'm putting it number 15, which is right behind the NFL Blitz games, okay. um, which are just very personal favorites of mine. Um, but I do think that this is this is an excellent game, well worth uh, revisiting on the N64. And if, yeah, if you were to have... 10 games on your on your console this would probably be one of them oh definitely uh i'm i'm kind of falling in the same camp i'm putting in mine at number uh 19 that's gonna be underneath Star Fox 64 mm -hmm. and right ahead of tom clancy's rainbow six uh yeah i think this game is excellent uh it's really cool to kind of dig into it as someone who really didn't experience it the first time around and i can kind of look at it without the nostalgia glasses and kind of see like what they're trying to do and what they're successful at. I do think the level design is a big problem. I do think the user interface is a little clunky sometimes, and there are some issues with uh, with you know muddy graphics, things like that sure. that you're that you're not going to escape on the N sixty four. But the ambition and how much they pulled off of what they were trying to achieve here is really incredibly impressive. I I'm excited to continue going on this. I think I'm going to try and uh, push through and beat the single player mode for the first time. Um, let me see where, where are you, let me see. You guys are, uh, Benny, you only have the two battle tanks games on, yeah, on man, your list. It's going to be a hard decision. Uh, <laughs> but if I had to, to try, uh, yeah, this is going to be number one, like way, way above battle. Tanks. Yep. Way yeah. above battle tanks, yeah. which, uh, and, and for what it's worth, battle tanks, was, we had a good time playing. We had a great time playing. I, yeah. Battle yeah. Tanks. I yeah. totally no, forgot no about those dark. games, but, yeah. uh, this one, this one was worthy of sinking yeah, many, many hours of my childhood into much like Scott did. So it's, it's absolutely. And Scott, your list currently is Mortal Kombat trilogy at number one, followed by Starcraft 64 and then Mortal Kombat four at yeah. the bottom. Does Perfect Dark snipe any of these? <laughs> Ooh, well, it's going to be close, but uh, yeah, Perfect Dark is is definitely my number one. I think uh, nice. I want to say Perfect Dark does all the same things that Goldeneye does, but better in every way. Yep. Uh, and I think T Perfect Dark is probably one of my top five favorite games of all time. Uh, wow, absolutely. There's, there's a heavy nostalgia factor involved as well. It's so. worth noting that Scott has only played five games. <laughs> Mortal Kombat 4 is Scott's fourth fav five favorite game. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the, uh, uh, to the Perfect Dark movie starring Pierce Brosnan, and Joanna Dark. Very strange choice. Well, we have a bunch of letters this yes. week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for writing in. Uh, you can send those to ultra64podcast at gmail.com or to our website. But if you're sending it to our website, you should include your name because our first letter here is unsigned. Ooh, uh, it's from A hey. Anonymous. <laughs> Hey guys, Happy New Year. Thank you, Happy New Year. I was listening to your episode on the Rush series, and when you were talking about stunt mode, you left out the worst part. My friends and I used to spend way too much time playing this mode, and there is a complete hack that haunts me to this day. If you are playing as player two and land a trick at the same time as player one, uh, that player one hits C up or is reset from exploding, player two will not get any points. 
Many a fight oh. was had about this, and it was a sort of house rule that if player two had a crazy trick going, player two, one would try to not explode. And that's Weird. unsigned, but I did not know. About no, I'm that surprised feature. that you kind of figured that out, though. For what I don't know, like I think we both enjoyed stunt mode, but not for any sort of like competitive reason. No, we just, no. it didn't. We didn't really care if you got points or not. It was just fun to fling your car around. It, it was wings. just yeah, the, the chaotic thrill of you know being the little kid who throws his toys off the roof yeah. of the house or oh something. My gosh. You know, can we? I, I just wanted to appreciate the, yeah. the fact that hearing that letter out of context, not knowing anything about the game's <laughs> rush, like just appreciate that someone's like we had a lot of fights that like if player two is doing something really great i'll try my best to not explode oh yeah <laughs> which is just I mean, a great life rule of thumb just try your best not to explode when someone else is doing something i mean i think that it maybe speaks to the conversation we were having earlier of like i feel like every family or group of friends had their own a local multiplayer house rules. Yeah, and yeah, I, would yeah. Really, you, I feel like you could learn a lot of, about a family by like, what were your local multiplayer house rules? Oh, 100%. Maybe I'm going to change that to my Tinder opening now. <laughs> I just message people. No on job. With screen watching allowed. Yeah, no, yeah, no on job in, in GoldenEye. Yeah. Uh, all right, our next letter. Uh, hi, guys. I don't particularly like Rush 2 as a racing oh, game. I don't particularly like your podcast, <laughs> but I'm writing in anyway. But the stunt track is a fun way to chill out and throw some cars around in a simple physics playground. I find myself firing it back up every now and again, not particularly caring about my score, but just launching the car into the air and seeing if I stick the landing. Wow, we were like the great, uh, was, was it Cres- Cres- Creston? Creston, well? yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, we anticipated this one. We did. We knew. Uh, I understand 2049 as a more fully featured stunt mode, but the inclusion of wings kind of takes away from the simplicity for me. But I imagine it will be something you guys appreciate. Uh, hopefully you had a chance to check out the Rush 2 stunt track during your time with it, as it could be easily missed. Cheers from Jesse. And uh, there's a PS because he sent a follow up letter guessing about the final episode. He said, is the final episode going to be Air Border 64? That was an inscrutable futuristic snow slash skateboarding game that I don't think you guys have covered. It would be the perfect trash game to finish the console with. (laughs) You have not guessed it because Air Border 64 was not released in the U.S. Uh, Jesse is writing to us from Australia. So we did not get this game, but I have heard of it. The last game is going to be Tasmania. I'm just going to call this now. We're not... We're not revealing our last game at the end of this episode. We're not going no, to? No. Okay, okay. Right in, figure out what our last game is, waste your time looking <laughs> through the spreadsheet of uh, Nintendo I've had, I've had one person games. write in and guess it okay. correctly. Right? Okay. Shout out to Daniel Barron. He already guessed it. So, okay. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, well, we'll leave, well, fine, we'll leave that blank then. Why not? Uh, the next letter says, hey, oh, Steve, Woody, and guest. If there's no human guest, Quantum is who I mean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shout out. Left out. There are human guests. <laughs> Yay, there are two. Hey. <laughs> Uh, I encountered your show a fair few months back while I was cleaning up around the home by searching Battle Tanks on Spotify. Wow! wow. Oh, look at that. Oh my gosh. This is a full this was, circle this for This was not planned. Uh, seems pretty random, but I was feeling nostalgic and felt like there had to be someone who talked about it on their podcast. There were three of us. Uh, I was not disappointed. The episode opened with a discussion on the 3DO, including one of my favorite disasters, Plumbers Don't Wear Ties. Yeah. Oh then hearing the perspective of someone who didn't grow up playing battle tanks and global assault like me was pretty awesome. The story of that series is absolutely bananas, but I hold the games very near and dear to my heart, and that random nostalgia led me to a podcast that Spotify tells me I have been listening to way too much of. 
It's been so long since that episode, but in the interest of journalistic integrity, I need to point out that A, you can select control schemes to be able to move the turret on the tank in the original game. Okay. Good to know. We, we, I don't remember this, but yeah. We failed. We failed in our investigation. All right, we got we to stop and re-record our Battle Tanks episode. <laughs> and B, you can set the AI on while playing with other players, though the menu is weird, and I might not know how to navigate it myself at all after all this time. Sure. M -m -m Perfect Dark kind of problem. Perfect Dark kind of style, yeah. Overall, I've been tempted to try and learn how to make a version of Battle Tanks myself, but that's a bit like saying I want to build my own actual real-life tank when it comes to how practical that dream is. Sure. I feel like there's an open space in my heart for a new, polished, crazy arcade-style tank game with crazy theme gangs blowing each other to tiny pieces all the same. There's go that's gotta be That's out gotta there. be Like, a thing. 100%, there's room for it, but, like, if you navigate the depths of Steam... There's gotta like, be some kind of tank I, battling game. Some visual novel uh, game around Battle Tanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, if you were handed the reins, budget, and development resources to completely remaster any of the games of the series you've played on the show, which would it be and why? And that comes from Eli from Port Orchard, staring across the Puget Sound and cryptically murmuring, soon. Oh. Creepy, creepy well, sign-off, Eli. Sure, I like yeah, it. he's I not like far it. away. Wow. So any game that we could remake if we had the, any, uh, uh, the full creative uh, resources to make any game that we've covered... Oh man, that's kind of a tricky one gotta, because gotta like, vamp for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Like, I feel like I would want to go with one of the games that like came close to being really good, but then something fell apart. I think my stock answer is always Space Station Silicon Valley. Yeah. but to be a little more like specific and unique about it, uh, Blast Core. Yeah. I would bring back. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Body yeah. Harvest is another go-to of a game that seemed um, very close to being good. Yeah. Um, though I feel like maybe the time of Body Harvest has come and gone. Yeah, um, I think it might because every game is kind of topped Body has, Harvest at has this point and what it, what it's done. Yeah. Um, I, I I would like to see a Donkey Kong 64 actually uh, remaster that sort of smooths out all of the excessive backtracking. Yeah. Like I don't I don't need like to change the game substantially, but just a way that makes it sort of far more efficient to see what the content is there, because that is a great, fun collectathon game, but it is so hindered by the amount of backtracking. I did find a ROM hack of that game that allows you to change between all the Kong, like you change between any of the Kongs instantly with the control pad, which I feel like makes me want to replay that game, that, which is that, no small feat. That seriously feels yeah. like something that would fix the game for yeah. me. Like, yeah, if you didn't have to, if you cut some of that out. Do you guys have a, a pick? Would you have a N64 game you would completely remake? Hmm. Uh, Bennett, go, Bennett should go first because I'm looking through my Nintendo 64 catalog. Sure. Yeah, geez, oh I'm my trying, God. To, like, trying no, to scour that's, my that's memory a, That's banks. a tough pull. Honestly, no. like... What comes to mind is I would I would totally remake uh, Star Fox 64. I wouldn't change mm -hmm. anything about how it operates, but I would totally want to overhaul the graphics because I could just yeah. like take you could take the beauty and the majesty of it to the nth degree with what we have capable of today and just playing yeah, through the you exact want, same content. You want oh. Star Fox 64 in VR. I do. That's, I do. That'd be great. Yeah. And you'd be happy to know Star Fox 64 on the 3DS uh, does this exact thing, and it's great. Uh, yeah, but it's yeah. not like a revamp of the graphics. Like, it still looks like the N64. No, game. no, no. No, it's a revamp graphics. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it, looks, it looks totally better. Yeah, they update. it's kind of the similar upgrade to, like, the, the Ocarina of Time 3DS, which is, like, not, like, a massive improvement, sure. but it smooths out the edges, adds better textures. Mm -hmm. and See, like, I would do, I would do the out. Xbox Arcade, you know, remake Perfect Dark version just with Ooh, yeah. beautiful graphics. Yeah. I've been playing that a little bit too. Joanna has been made to look like uh, Posh Spice, which yes. is an interesting choice. 
Uh, but yeah, yeah. They looked up a British woman in the dictionary, and she was the first. That, that was her picture was next to just, it. Yeah, yeah, just, just, yeah, she's the stereotypical British woman. Just saying, she, I, she I knows actually, how to rock that like dragon kimono dress that she wears for that one mission. Very much. I mean, I, I was thinking like if I was going to say stereotypical British woman, my first thought goes to Judy Dench, and I, I really want to see Joanna sure. Dark, Judy Dench. Yeah. yeah, I really want to see that now. I have an answer now. Uh, I All want, right, what you got? I want uh, the budget and. Um, a triple anus of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Triple Fall anus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. E for explicit on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> There's three anuses on it. Oh my god! Gotta be careful. Uh, very Star Warsian as well. Um, uh, Jedi Fallen Order's budget applied to Shadows of the Empire. Yeah. Ooh, yes. That's, that's a great one. I really enjoyed Shadows. Yeah. I enjoyed Shadows a lot more than I thought I would yeah. too. Like uh, I, I would love to see that. No, uh, you're right. Bad. That is a game that would still holds up very well, but would very much benefit from having some of those rough edges yeah. smoothed out. That's a great one, Scott. All right, uh, we have a next letter here. Uh, Dear Steve and Woody and nobody else. Oh, sorry, sorry guys. guys. Oh, come on. Uh, I've been a longtime listener since I heard your Jumbotron on the Flophouse podcast, Yay. and I love the show. I've been meaning to write we in for a while. We love the Flophouse, too. It is a great show. It's great. <laughs> oh, wait, he meant our show. No, I think oh, he meant the Flophouse. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, pretty sure. Uh, I've been meaning to write in for a while, so my comment is going to be super outdated. I was so excited to hear that. Who do you, you think is were... going to win the 2016 presidential election? <laughs> oh, this is going to go well. Uh, I was so excited to hear that you were covering Rocket Robot on Wheels, as that was one of my favorite games as a child. Yeah, that game's dope. I remember hearing, thinking, I remember thinking the best thing about it was the roller coaster minigame. You got to design a roller coaster and ride it around in first person as you picked up collectibles. I was surprised that when you covered the game, you didn't mention the roller coaster mm. minigame at all. Was I mistaken in thinking that this tiny activity was a huge part of the game's overall mechanics? Had my childlike sense of wonder blown this minuscule task out of proportion? Was I just desperate for my older brother to stop playing Roller Coaster Tycoon on the <laughs> PC so I could play? For the record, I haven't replayed Rocket myself so a child, so I can't comment since I was a child, so I can't comment for myself. Uh, I, I will interject here. There's more to the letter, but I will say I looked into this. It's just a one. It's one item in the first level. It's like you have to build a roller coaster and ride it's it. It's like what? Like, it's it's your quest to one jiggy i don't remember yeah. what you actually collected in that game i but. forget like light bulbs or something yeah, yeah but you you uh it, it was just one part yeah but i could i think you might have conflated it uh to make it a bigger part anyway it says is there a mode level or activity in a game that you found incredibly memorable maybe even outshining the rest of the game that it's from Ooh, yeah, uh also i'm incredibly excited for your wii u season i loved my wii u and i can't wait to hear you talk about the overhated fun machine <laughs> there's no doubt the system has some quality games i'm curious what your opinion is on the legacy of the wii u in the future as more and more of its best games get ported to the switch there seems to be, to be very little reason to return to the system on which those originated i guess the question is do you think game and wario will get a switch port <laughs> Keep up the good work, and that's from Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Um, um, we don't know if Game & Wario will get a Switch port. We will We will know once we play it, because I've heard I, that that game's kind of terrible. I understand that one's kind of, uh, kind of that's that's where the so, WarioWare series has stopped for yeah. a while. Um, <laughs> so maybe not. They're usually not excited to report their least successful version. Um, and in response to his other question, um, the mode that comes to mind is in the game Kirby Superstar, mm. which is a very fully featured great game. But there's a samurai showdown mode where basically it's kind of like a quick draw mode where you stand there and then there's like a go a go sound, like a click, and you have to press the button before your opponent does to yeah. beat him to the slice. But if you go too early, um, you know, you get a penalty. And that is one of my all-time favorite 
multiplayer modes. Whenever you have a video game tournament, that's always the last game in the tournament because it gets so intense, like, <laughs> in terms of when they're going to say go and you're always trying to anticipate it. Like, ah! Yeah. It's really good. Um, Man, I don't know if I have, like, a main mode. Like, uh, um... I oh, mean, also, fun fun multiplayer factor, another random fact. If you um, have a save uh, game for... Uh, I think it's Quake on the Sega Saturn. You could unlock a game called Death Tank, mm. which was essentially like this six-player um, real-time tank warrior game similar to Battle Tanks. Wow. Um, just it was 2D over on the side, and that game was really cool, too. Is, is that related uh, to the Death Tank Zui game? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think my answer that I'm going to go with just because Assassin's Creed has been on my brain lately is there's uh, there's an activity in Assassin's Creed 2 where you find these little glitches in reality and it, it it descends into these very arcane, like Illuminati themed puzzles of okay. like, you need to closely you have to, like, put the eyeball over the pyramid. Well, kind of. Yeah. You have to closely analyze pictures of uh, the Supreme Court justices <laughs> to find out which one is Such secretly an alien. Like, oh, man. it's it was I found it so compelling. Like anytime you'd find one of these, it's like. It never really came together in a satisfying way. Like, it doesn't reveal anything, but I'm just like, oh, I'm excited about this. There's all these really weird, like, puzzles, and it's kind of, um, it made me think of the book House of Leaves. Yeah. Like, the way that the, the way it's presented, like, sometimes some pages are upside down or drifting all over the place. That's kind of what these puzzles looked like. I, I enjoyed those. I don't know. I totally uh, forgot Do you guys about have any part. polls? Mine, I think, would be in... Uh, the, the origin for where Geometry Wars came from is like oh, this yeah. offshoot, like uh, buried in the game part of Project Gotham Racing. And I remember I was like walking around the, the garage, checking out my cars and like, oh, there's like a little arcade cabinet over here. I'm going to walk over to that. And then you hit the action button and then there's like this cool little arcade game in it. And I'm like, yeah. wow, this is actually like really well done. And I yeah. wonder if anything happened to that series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is that is really cool. Something that really grew. Man, something that sticks out for me is in Super Nintendo game Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Um, Never heard of it. <laughs> and it was when you would go to the like the archery game contest. Mm -hmm. Do you guys remember that? Like you yeah. Raised, yeah, you but I don't remember vaguely. what the mechanic was. Like how did how did you aim? Yeah, it was literally like you just it was all about timing. You just had to get the timing right to make sure you hit the targets instead of like the little I don't know, ducks or whatever oh, they were. Oh, right, because the targets would sort of scan horizontally across in front. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. And I okay, just remember yeah. spending, like, hours on that thing <laughs> that I got so good. I was like, okay, anytime I need some more rupees, like, I just go just dominate <laughs> this game for, like, 30 minutes, and I'm flush with cash. Nice. That's a pretty good one. I need to. That's another game I need to go back and replay. Like I feel linked to the passage of the game. I, I would haven't. say it's pretty good. You know, I, I've heard good things. Yes, yeah. I've I've played it before. Uh, one last letter for today. Hey, Steve and Woody. Uh, been looking forward to the Perfect Dark episode for a while. The last of the big games that I played a lot. Ooh, just wait until you get to that last one. <laughs> oh boy, we got a doozy coming. <laughs> it's the biggest game yet. Yeah. Uh, the 360 port is very good too, and you had a pretty good timing with the recent announcement of the new Perfect Dark game. Yeah, that's true. That was all planned. I have Steve. A... Steve was the, Steve is lead designer of the new Perfect Dark game. We're revealing I am it now. the initiative. Yeah. I have a game that also had a Mountain Dew imagery in it that predates Rush 2. Oh, nice. The Jet Moto series on PlayStation. I had Jet Moto 2, and I remember uh, one of the Mountain Dew bikes was the fastest, and the other was <laughs> well-balanced on stats. Nice. There were two Mountain Dew bikes in that game, apparently. <laughs> um, so I have a question about the upcoming Wii U show. 
Will you play? Will your will your play time with those games be longer? There are quite a few Wii U games that are long, like Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles is like a hundred hour game. Assassin's Creed Three, you have to play for like four hours before the game really gets going. Also, are there any wrestling games on the Wii U? When will I, I get a not. chance to write in to teach you about wrestling? Are you sure you want to do the Wii U next? Hopefully never. And that's from Adam Bradbury. <laughs> um, no wrestling games on the Wii U. Yeah, at least uh, not any physical releases. Yeah, so I think um, we're going to kind of approach it the same way we did with this show because honestly, uh, a lot of Wii U games you can kind of get a decent way into in an hour. Like they're meant to be kind of uh, shorter and more arcadey. So. Sure. You will get the occasional, your, your Arkham, your Darksiders, your, your things like that, that uh, we'll probably spend a little bit more time with. But um, I don't think I'm going to fully replay Xenoblade Chronicles. You've played Xenoblade, I, Xenoblade Chronicles. Chronicles. Look, I'll just tell you now, Xenoblade Chronicles is great. Yeah. Like, it's just a great game. There, we, we can skip that episode. There when we go. We don't need it. to do it. No, um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, it. Th- I like, I'm happy to podcast. I've had a very good time, but yeah. it takes a... I spend a significant amount of time doing it, and yeah. I don't want to spend more time having to play Assassin's Creed games. It's true. So it's true. It's, uh, it's, a, a lot of I really don't like Assassin's Creed. At this point, like a lot of the really long, like big AAA games that are on the Wii U are things that I've already played yeah, before Steve can, in my Steve own can time. Can actually be our source on these. Yeah, I've played all the Arkham games. I've played all the Assassin's Creed games. So, like, I can I can talk about those uh with with some seniority i think and if there's some that requires a little more time i'm i i try and plan ahead maybe and, maybe we'll pull in an expert so if you know the lead designer of, <laughs> of any wii u games have them come on the show tokyo mirage <laughs> sessions hashtag fe yes yeah. that's the, the worst title ever for what i understand it's a pretty fun game um that's all of our letters this week thank you so good, much good everybody letters. for writing in we actually saved a few for next week just because we're running a little long um Thank you so much to both of our guests today, Bennett and Scott. Thank you for being here talking about these game, this game with us. Uh, do either of you have anything you'd like to plug or let any anybody know anything? Well, there's this leak in my sink that. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you could send someone over, please. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll plug my data science blog, uh, svburger.com. Uh, I have some fun stuff in there about video game analytics. Uh, I'm doing a, a <laughs> when relaxed... you think fun stuff, oh. <laughs> you think video game analytics. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, right now, I'm doing a, a, a relaxing YouTube series of um, like I guess you could classify them as almost kind of like screensavers in a way uh, from this okay. uh, game slash planetarium software called Space Engine, which is free to download. Uh, you should check that out. And you should check out the Patreon episode that I'm on as well. Yes. Uh, it actually wound up in the main feed. He was just yeah. on an episode talking about Dwarf Fortress. Uh, and it is, I'm still uh, traumatized from that game. <laughs> sure. <a little> bit. <laughs> uh, Bennett, anything to plug? or? Uh, uh, I don't have anything to plug. Uh, so I will, I will just go full humanitarian and say everybody you know get out and support your local businesses because man they're they're all struggling at this time and you know figure out what you can buy and who you can support that's in the town that you're in and support the heck out of them because they they need it definitely 100 yeah. percent. we fully endorse that sentiment oh i want to plug one more thing too uh yes i want to plug uh steve and woody for doing the show uh, yeah <gasps> i mean we're, we're, we're plugged we're on the second to last episode i know the last episode whatever yeah. game is is, is going to be amazing uh I can't yeah, wait no to, question. To listen but uh <laughs> like 
I think for you know everyone else that is a habitual podcast listener like me, you probably have this huge backlog that's building up on your phone or iPod or whatever. And you're like, man, oh, yeah. I'm never going to be able to listen to those because I just like don't have any time because I'm so like busy with all this pandemic stuff that's going on. But uh, like this show is the one that I've been constantly listening to and like has always been you know maintaining my interest. And as far as like all the other podcasts I listen to, this is. The, up there with the best of them and i think you guys have done an amazing job i'm looking forward to the next season and just keep up the good work yeah second well, thank that. you so much thank yeah, you that's thank incredibly you kind of you to say thank you so much and i i really appreciate you guys coming on and helping us talk about this stuff uh so yeah that that is it coming up next week we have our very last nintendo 64 game Holy shit, we're almost there. It's not the last episode yet. We're going to do another wrap-up special the week after. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to take a little hiatus before we jump into the Wii U show. Not a long one, but stay keep us keep subscribed stay in your feed it's going to be the same exact feed there'll be if you if you really get desperate to hear our voices um there'll still be patreon episodes that are coming out during that uh hiatus month absolutely or you just re-listen to all the old episodes we have so maybe our ratings them. changed in the, somehow yeah. over time steve yeah. mysteriously went back and hid clues in all the previous episodes <laughs> as to what our last game would be it's hidden so. in the uh, in the garbled uh electronic yeah uh, oh the old glitch right. yeah. yeah r.i.p glitch i miss it yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I just, you, you can find, I, I feel confident in saying you can find at least one letter from each, uh, one letter from the title of our last game used somewhere in every episode. So you can piece it together from that. Sure. I'm Win pretty confident. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> win, win, it, win it back again. It's called Win Back Back. <laughs> win Back Back. All right, everybody. Well, we will see you next week for. Huh? <laughs> All right, have a great night, everybody. The sequel to... Mm -hmm.